good morning. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, and if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let's pray together. Father God, we do ask now that you would mold and shape us in our hearts with your word. Lord, that it would drill down deep into us uh, and that many days and weeks and months and years from now, it would do its work to bear fruit for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris Blackman. I'm the RUF campus minister at Kennesaw State. Now, so bring greetings Uh, from the brothers and sisters at Christ Community Church in Kennesaw, as well as the students of RUF at Kennesaw State. It's a real privilege to be here and to share God's word. Uh, The title of my message today is A Home Built by the Lord. Uh, Have any of you ever taken a vacation to Paris, France, by chance? Anyone been to Paris? Uh, The story goes that apparently the mayor of Paris... Uh, whoever he or she may be, during their term in office, they try to build some kind of new uh, architectural monument. They try to leave their mark on the city in some way. And even if you haven't been to Paris, I'm sure you can think of some of the architecture in Paris, the Eiffel Tower being the most famous, or the Louvre, or some of the many beautiful uh, buildings there that people like to see when they go and visit that in many ways we all desire to leave behind some kind of legacy, some kind of heritage for people to remember us by later on. What kind of heritage are you leaving behind? It's the question I'd like to start us with today. And the key truth I want us to think about as we go through this passage is that because Jesus is the cornerstone of the family of God, we are part of a home that is built to last. This psalm breaks into two sections quite neatly, verses 1 and 2, and then 3 through 5. So I have two points today. The first thing we're going to look at, building a house of vanity, verses 1 and 2. It tells us there, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You know, uh, as... I've already shared, I work with RUF at Kennesaw State University and working with students there, right? I mean, the number one goal of most students is to go to college is I want to get a degree, 
and I hopefully get a job and, you know, live a good life. Well, God's word tells us very clearly here that there is a way that you can work hard, that you can be diligent, that you can complete your studies, that you can even start a family, that you can even build nice things in the world, and yet all of that can still be in vain. That if the Lord is not behind the building of the house, that if the Lord is not watching over the city, if the Lord is not in your work, that it will ultimately be left nothing. Uh, I believe Pastor David shared that you guys studied the book of Ecclesiastes not too long ago. That word vanity is often used in the Bible uh, as like smoke or vapor in the air. Can you hold smoke? (laughs) Can you catch vapor? No, it slips through your fingers. It doesn't last. That the psalmist is telling us that there is a kind of work that seems successful, that seems beneficial, and yet will not last. What kind of heritage are you leaving behind? Are you leaving behind a heritage or a legacy that will last to the glory of God? You know, universities uh, are these massive building structures, right? And they're all built on the premise that if you come here, that if you work hard and you're diligent, you're faithful to your studies, that you can live a good life, that this is an avenue to a more comfortable and successful life as the world defines it. And I mean, come on, if you've got a kid in college, you want them to be successful. You want them to finish and get a good job and start a family, right? All of these are good things on a common grace level. But at the end of the day, if it's a life built on something other than Christ, it's a life lived in vain. (laughs) And I love the psalmist even mentions uh, the classic college student move, the all-nighter. Anyone ever pulled an all-nighter before? Yeah, I mean, it says, look, it's in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. What college student hasn't tried to stay up all night, you know, thinking if I just, if I put in the time, I'll get the result I want. We see that scripture, as ancient as it is, points out a problem of the human heart that still persists. And it's that we create our own gospel, our own good news. It's what I like to call the gospel of hustle. You know, if I just, If I just hustle a little harder, if I just work a little harder, if I put in a little bit more time and effort, then I will get the results I want out of this. That Solomon, the writer of this psalm, is pointing us to the reality that actually those things are ultimately in God's hands. That you cannot work your way into heaven. That you cannot work and produce the results you want. That it ultimately is by the wisdom of God. And it's amazing that Solomon points out such things that are very natural to our life. I mean, he says, look, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city, it's in vain you rise up eating the bread of anxious toil. I mean, he points out three very basic parts of life, right? Uh, Shelter, building the house, security, the watchman on the walls, uh, getting up early to, you know, farm and gather food. We all need these things. We need to eat. We need shelter. We need security. What is that called? Uh, Maslow's uh, Pyramid of Needs, right? I don't know. So I think that's what it's called. But these are basic building blocks to life, you know, before we ever get into our, you know, existential crisis of, you know, what is true happiness and all that. But Solomon is pointing out, it's actually in our searching for these basic things 
that we can miss God. You know, sometimes our concern is that you know, people will be won over by you know, the high-end philosophical arguments, and sometimes that does happen. But so many more are lost in the hustle and bustle of life. You know, I don't got time for God. I'm trying to just feed my family. You know, well, yeah, I'm sure God will bless my work, but, you know, I'm too busy working to really give him any attention. I'm too consumed with feeding my family and getting the kids clothed into school and making sure the house mortgage is getting paid that I have very little time to devote to the Lord and what he is asking of our lives. That there is a way we can live in vain. And this can take different forms at different seasons of life. You young people here, listen, there's often two messages given to you in your young age. One is, well, you're young, you know, so like just have fun and play and kind of don't worry about adult things until you become an adult. That's for later on. Or the other message is, well, you know, you got to get ahead now, so study hard and do all the, you know, sports teams and do all the honors classes you can, you know, because you got to get ahead or someone's going to out-hustle you to the top. And there's very little time for Jesus in either of those. What I want you to hear tonight, young people, is that today is that Jesus wants to know you, even at whatever age you are at now, that that is not time spent in vain, that you can have a relationship with him here and now, that it is not for later on in your life, that it is not when you are old enough to you know, tithe regularly to the church. No, Jesus wants you to know him here and now. Working people, parents, I mean, come on, I'm, I'm a parent of two small children, I can, I can relate. Man, there's some days you're changing diapers all days and chasing uh, kids around and trying to get them to soccer practice and to school and get them fed and get them to sleep. And you know, please, Lord, help them to sleep. Right? That like, <laughs> it can be so all-consuming. I've certainly had days where I've come to the end of it and I'm like, have I stopped to pray? Pray at least once. Have I had any time to consider how the Lord is at work in this? I want you to know that your life, taking care of children, working to pay the bills, is not one meant to be lived in vain. That the Lord very much wants to work through you, stay-at-home moms. He wants to work through you, fathers who are working to provide for your family. That don't think your work is somehow separate from the work of the Lord. Older people, don't let the culture convince you that your life has been lived in vain, that your life now is in vain. No, you still have so much to offer to us, to the church, that Jesus doesn't see you as somehow less than, as, as past your prime, and he sees you as still very much part of the kingdom and the family and valuable, that your life is not in vain. <coughs> it's fascinating <coughs> that in this psalm, Right, Solomon is kind of contrasting this, this vanity building a house, building a building. And then the second half, he starts talking about the, the creating of a family, the growing of a family. And it's really an echo of the book of Genesis. Right, Genesis chapter 11, the story of the Tower of Babel. Come on, you all know it, right? They get together, they say, let's build this tower to glorify our name. And we'll gather all the people of the world here to this giant tower that we will build with our own efforts. And it's really funny in the original language, right? Like, 
when God comes in the picture, he goes like, where's that giant tower that they said they were building? Like, I don't see it anywhere. <laughs> like the, the work of man's hands are tiny and minuscule compared to the one who created the planets and the universe. That God comes down and says, look, this work is in vain and I will separate it. This is not my way of uniting the world. You know, if you read that passage, you come to the end and you wonder like, all right, God, what are you doing? Like, where is the hope? <laughs> where is the hope? You seem to divide the world. And it's actually in the next chapter because that's the chapter that God calls Abraham. It says, through you and through your family, I will bless the world. Through you, we will start to recreate the world. Through you, we will gather together a new family built of many nations and many people. Through you, we will find true blessing. Now, that's what Solomon is pointing us to, that there is a type of work in building that leads to vanity, but the work that the Lord is a part of is blessed and goes forward. You know, and purely from a human perspective, I mean, you know, if you had to think about, like, what I'm going to invest in, the building of the Tower of Babel, or there's a random guy named Abraham who's going to leave his home and go to some distant land, You'd think, no, no, I mean, look at all the people involved in the building of Tower of Babel. It's got engineers, it's got smart people, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of talented people involved in building this tower. That seems like the sure bet. And yet it's through Abraham, through a man and a woman who were too old to have children, that God was going to grow his family. That that's how God shows his power. Through the least likely places, through the unexpected that that's how God is going to spread the blessing. And that it's not just through Abraham, but generations later, through Jesus, right, the descendant of Abraham, that this is ultimately fulfilled. If you have a Bible, go ahead and uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. <coughs> Look at the language that Paul uses here in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 17 of both building a building, but also a family married together in Jesus. It says, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That it is through Jesus that we see a building that is truly being blessed in its construction. That it is through Jesus that each one of us becomes like a brick in the temple that God is building for his glory. It is in Jesus that the family is brought in to the household that will last. But don't buy into our culture's message of a vain way of living, to work for yourself, to only promote your own comfort and pleasure. No, no, that it's in Jesus that we find something that lasts. And so what does Jesus want of his people? What does he want us to do then, who, who put our faith in him, who are part of the family of God? Well, my second point is to seek to grow 
the family of God. Look again with me in verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. That, you know, Solomon is pointing us to this reality that uh, our children, both biological and spiritual, really only come about through the grace of God, right? That, yes, there's human effort, and yet it's God at work behind it all. That we want to grow our covenant family. We love churches with little children, right? Jesus has let the children come. What a blessing to have children in our churches. God forbid the day come when our, our churches are empty of young people. And yet also, we want to see the family grow spiritually, beyond just our biological children, right? We want to see people brought in from the outside. You guys have that wonderful ESL ministry. I mean, what a great way to connect with your community and invite people in and say, you too, who may have no you know, natural connection, are invited into the family of God to be part of the building that God is building. You know, bricks that are are from different backgrounds and different colors and different places, right, building up for the glory of God. He is calling us into his family. And I love also that, you know, uh, at the end of verse 2, he talks about like, man, uh, the blessing of being in the family is that you receive rest. You know, we talked about working anxiously, for toiling for something that will not last, and yet he says he gives to his beloved sleep. You know, I mentioned this a little bit in the Sunday school, but uh, working with college students, you know, I rarely run into the college student that's like, you know, give me like the ontological argument for God's existence. But I've run into a lot of college students who want to know, like, is it true? Does Jesus really give people rest? Is it true? Does Jesus really lift our burdens? Like, that's what I'm looking for. And I want to know if it's true and if it lasts. There are so many things in this world that offer rest but are ultimately in vain. And I want to know if Jesus is different. That when we go out inviting people into the family of God, we're inviting them into something eternal. Something that cannot be taken away like so many things in this world. That our churches should, yes, be a place of being uh, brought to life by faith, but also finding a refuge and a rest in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. That even rest, even sleep, is a statement of faith. It's saying, God, uh, I can't work nonstop, 24-7, all day, every day, 365. No, I have to stop and rest and trust that you will watch over me, that you will build our house, that you will provide for our daily needs. That even in stopping and sleeping, we are saying, God, it's in your hands, just like everything else, just like my salvation. That when we think of what kind of heritage or legacy we want to leave behind, we want to leave behind one of rest in Christ's work. This is one of the great heritages of the Reformation, right? Martin Luther saying, (coughs) by faith alone can I find salvation in Jesus. And not by working harder and studying harder. By faith alone, we can be brought in to that family and find rest. 
You know, we all come from different family backgrounds. Some were great places of rest and some were not. And yet in Jesus, he's saying, find this new family in which you can find that rest as well. Let our churches be places of rest. I find it so fascinating that Solomon is writing this psalm and he's talking about, you know, the vanity of building things and yet the blessing of children, seeing the family grow. Because if you know anything about Solomon, I mean, God really blessed him in all of those ways. He was blessed with a, a, a wealthy period in Israel's history in which he built palaces, in which there was peace in the land, and ultimately God let him build the temple. <coughs> and yet, right, we know that the only reason Solomon built the temple is because God allowed him to. Solomon's father David asked God, I want to build you a temple, God. And he said, you don't need to build me a temple, but I'll build you a house. I will build you a dynasty. I will build a family out of you that will last in my covenant for eternity, that through you the Messiah will come. That Solomon, as a, of a mixed record he has, at least when he's writing this psalm, right, confesses that, man, the greatest grace I received from God was not the riches, was not getting to build the temple, but it was being a part of God's family, being counted among his people. Knowing how Solomon was born and his mother being Bathsheba, it's even a greater testimony to God's grace that he, the least likely to be the next king, would be called by God to serve in this way. How will you seek to grow the family of God? Will you make the people around you the spackle for the bricks of your own house you want to build? Will you seek to call people in to the family, to see it grow, to see them become bricks in the temple that glorifies Jesus? The way we treat people is definitive of our reflection of the blessing that we have received from God. And I love that even, uh, you know, kind of secular writers get this on one level. You know, Machiavelli, the great Italian political philosopher, once said, you know, high walls are of no value without strong men. Saying, if you've got an enemy attacking you, just because you've got a tall wall, if you've got no one to defend that wall, it's all pointless. Saying, we need to see the family grow. Right? This is how we serve the kingdom. The psalmist is not saying necessarily that all our work is in vain, but that work that serves the Lord is work that is truly blessed. And thinking about, all right, so we're growing the family. It's talking about raising children here. Uh, you know, let's be honest. Raising children's hard. It's hard work. And often our children, uh, you know, they're young. They're not fully mature yet. And in a way that kind of reflects new believers. Right? Like you invite new believers in and, you know, they don't know all the rules yet. They don't know when to stand or sit. They don't know all the ins and outs of reformed theology. And yet... Right? God is saying, look, like when we serve to grow the family and see them grow in maturity, one day they will be sources of pride for us. I love that language of like they're, they're like arrows in the quiver of a warrior. You know, when we see new people come into the faith and grow in maturity in the faith, man, it's like our churches become more dangerous, but in a good way. You know what I mean? Like we are, we are dangerous for the kingdom of God. 
and that we will see it grow in places hostile to it. (coughs) That growing the family is something that should be exciting to us, even though it is hard, hard work. I think of this quote from a commentator, Derek Kidner, writing on the Psalms. He says, And it is not untypical of God's gifts that first they are liabilities, or at least responsibilities, before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. That, you know, if you've ever raised small children, uh, the days of them, you know, throwing the baby food on the wall at mealtimes will come to an end. (laughs) That they will be able to feed themselves and then even feed others. In the same way, when we call people into the family, yeah, it's going to be messy. There's going to be some food on the walls. But someday our hope is they will be able to feed themselves in the gospel and then go out and feed others. Work that is blessed by the Lord is work that will prove out over time in the lives of those we minister to. That when I meet someone who is not a believer, one of my first prayers for them is, God, I pray that someday like we will be able to stand together in glory, side by side, seeing you. And I think that's kind of what we're getting at here with the language at the end of verse 5, right? Blesses the man who fills the quiver with him. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The idea is a father, you know, he's raising his sons, all right, but when they're old enough, when they're grown men, that those sons can go down with him to the gate of the city where business is done, Right, And they represent the Father. They're kind of back up for the Father. They add glory and prestige to him. Then the same way our hope, growing the family of God, is that one day we will stand in the gates of glory and there will be many people that we have seen come to faith, our own biological children as well as those of our spiritual children. That yes, they will, they will be a pride and joy to us, but that they will most importantly glorify the Father who brought them in, that we will stand there together in the fullness of our joy. So to wrap things up, my father uh, was a a home builder. He uh, worked for a large construction company, residential construction company, and he would often say, you know, many people can start a job, not a lot of people can finish it. And man, ain't that true of life, right? To run the race to the end, to persevere to the end. That's where the real challenge is. It's the challenge for us, and it's what we want to see happen to those coming into the household of God. Right? How will we finish the race? Will we finish the work that God has called us to, the work that he seeks to bless through us? Will we stand blessed by the spiritual children the Lord has blessed us with? Or will we leave large but empty castles that testify to our own work in vanity. The Lord is building his house on Christ, and we are called to join in his work, to see the family grow, and to leave behind a heritage to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you for your word, for the ways that it challenges us. Lord, we all have the temptation to seek after vain things in this world. But Lord, we pray that we would seek out the things that will last, eternal things. Lord, we pray that we would see the family of God grow. Lord, bring 
new believers into our churches. Lord, grow our covenant children in our faith so that many years down the line we would see them continuing in the faith. Lord, help us to persevere in the faith. Give us your strength and your wisdom, O Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.